Welcome to the 69th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Bill Kreider, mystery novelist and author of the Sheriff Dan Rhodes Mystery Series. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Bill Kreider. Kreider is a prolific writer, the former chair of the Division of English and Fine Arts at Alvin Community College in Alvin, Texas. Kreider is the author of the Professor Sally Good and Carl Burns Mysteries, the Sheriff Dan Rhodes series, and the Truman Smith P.I. series. Last year, Kreider's two young adult novels, A Vampire Named Fred and A Werewolf Named Wayne, were published as e-books. Kreider's latest Dan Rhodes mystery, The Wild Hog Murders, was published in July by St. Martin's Press. Bill, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you, Jeff. I'm glad to be here. Sure. Well, I wonder if you could read the first two paragraphs of The Wild Hog Murders. I will be glad to do that. Sure. Uh, here we go. Sheriff Dan Rhodes saw the feral hog break from the tree line and streak for the county road. But the driver in front of Rhodes either didn't see the hog or didn't think it posed a problem. The afternoon sky was dark with clouds, and a light haze of mist gave everything a fuzzy look. The hog moved fast across the open ground, its trotters a dark blur. And there you have it. Great. Well, for those listeners who may not have read The Wild Hog Murders yet, can you give us an idea of what the book is about? Sure. Uh... I don't know if your listeners know this, but uh, feral pigs, wild hogs, are a plague here in the state of Texas, and they're, in fact, just about everywhere now. Uh, I've been reading articles about them turning up, in fact, in New York. Uh, (laughs) They're moving down or up the coast, the west coast. They're all through the south, and, well, anyway, they're they're they're, They're moving faster than the killer bees, I guess. Yes, much faster. <laughs> they reproduce much faster than the killer bees. And they tear up the land. They they kill small cattle, calves. They're just, as I say, a plague. Uh, there was even a show, in fact, uh, on one of the cable networks, A&E maybe, or History Channel, I don't remember, about hog hunters this year or late last year. So at any rate... Uh, Oddly enough, the feral pigs have figured in every Sheriff Rhodes book I've ever written. To think this is like number 20 or something, they've been mentioned in every one of them. Uh, I don't know why, that's just the way it happened. So I got a call from my sister one day, and she had read yet another article about this problem and said, you really need to just do a whole book about feral pigs. And I was kind of looking around for uh, something to write about at the time, and I thought, what a great idea. And so that's what it is. It's about the feral pig infestation, about some of the hunters who go out looking for them, and unfortunately, while this little hog that I mentioned in the first two paragraphs is running across the road, it hits a car, the men get out of the car, they run from the sheriff, and there are hog hunters out looking for the hogs, and one of the men winds up shot. So 
from that point, things get complicated. Great. Well, um, how was it writing again about Sheriff Dan Rhodes? What is it about that character that appeals to you? You know, I I would never really thought when I wrote the first book in this series that it would last this long. It's like, I think we're about 26 years into the series now. Uh, but apparently this is the character of mine that has the most appeal for readers, and I always enjoy writing about him because I like the humor of the series, I like the characters, I, I nearly everything that I've ever written has had a small-town setting, so I like the small-town atmosphere that I use here, and, and they're just a lot of fun to write. Gotcha. Well, recently you've teamed up with Mel Lodum and James Reasoner to write a series of short Western novels, uh, ebook novels, all published under the name Colby Jackson. I'm curious if you can talk to us about how the Rancho Diablo series, which it's called, came about. Okay, that's Mel Odom is the genius behind this and many other ebook series around right now. <laughs> uh, he came up with the idea. And I think this was the first ebook series that he had decided to try, and he invited me and James to be a part of it, and we both jumped at the opportunity because ebooks seem to be coming on strong now, and we hadn't tried anything like that. And so we kicked around the idea of a Western series. Uh, we sort of all collaborated on the characters and decided the time period we would use and so on and so then Mel wrote the first book in the series which is great by the way if you haven't read it and James wrote the second I wrote the third then Mel wrote the fourth James wrote the fifth and I'm writing the sixth right now so we're kind of alternating that way each one of us does a book there's no time schedule uh, we just, and there's no, uh, actual collaboration in the idea for each book in the series. We come up with our own ideas for the books, the separate books. So we're just sharing the house name and working in the same universe, so to speak. Right. And, and how have you liked that experience so far in that series? Uh, so far it's been great. These books are really selling well. I, uh, James, that gum James and Mel, their books are selling better than mine. So everybody <laughs> listening to this podcast better get out there and help me out. Uh, but uh, they're on the Western, they've been on the Western's bestseller list for Kindle on Amazon for a long time. Uh, and they just keep on selling. So I think people who read them must like them and other or tell others or something but the sales are steady and good and that's great that's that's wonderful well i i know from following your career for many years and reading your blog that not only are you a perfect prolific writer but you've also been a longtime fan of paperback novels and pulp novels. In fact, I think the first time that I ever became aware, aware of who you were was years ago when you wrote an essay or an appreciation of Harry Whittington, a, a pulp novelist. So I'm just curious for, for those listening, um, if you can kind of take us back to when you were a kid or a young reader, were, were you always a voracious reader? Can, can you remember when you first discovered pulp literature and pulp novels? 
Oh, sure. But I've always been a voracious reader. Uh, I, I don't remember when I couldn't read. Uh, my parents used to, when I was a baby, they sat me down and read to me constantly, and I picked it up. And so I was reading before I started the school. And uh, then I really, I love reading anything. I even loved, I'm, I'm an old guy, so I had the C-Spot Run books. I loved reading C-Spot Run. People hate that stuff. I loved it. Uh, <laughs> and when I got, in, when I was uh junior high age probably I discovered the science fiction and the science fiction digest magazines the pulps were pretty much gone by then but right I loved the digest magazines I read as many as I could a, a week and the science fiction paperbacks and then a few years later it's probably about the time I went to college I discovered the uh, crime and mystery field and I got really excited about that. Uh, it was some years later when I really got into it. Uh, when I was in graduate school, I was supposed to be working in the library on my dissertation or something. I'm not sure what. But uh, <laughs> instead, I sat up in the stacks and read the big bound back issues of the New York Times Book Review. And uh, Anthony Boucher, for whom the Boucher Con is named, uh, was one of the few people who was reviewing paperback books, and he was especially enthusiastic about Harry Whittington uh, and Charles Williams and Gil Brewer. And as it turns out, nearly all of these guys were gold medal writers. Uh, and so I went out and started going to used bookstores and picking up books by all these writers. And particularly gold medal because that's who Whittington and Brewer and so on wrote for a lot of the time. And can you can and, you just um, can you just explain for maybe those listeners who are listening who who believe it or not aren't familiar with uh gold medal who who they were as a publisher? Yeah, gold medal was a publisher of paperback originals. They were novels that had not been published in hardback. Uh, gold medal didn't invent this. There were originals before gold medal, but gold medal, starting in about 1950 or 51, paid more, uh, printed more copies. They they paid an advance that was based on copies published, not copies sold. They paid extremely well, and so a lot of writers wrote for them. John D. McDonald was one of the first to get in on that. Uh, there were many. And right. it's hard to find a bad gold medal novel. So if any of your listeners ever want to read any good paperback originals, gold medal is a wonderful place to start. Great. Well, well, as you were reading and discovering all these writers and gold medal paperbacks, were you, were you at that time when you were talking about graduate school and sitting in the stacks, were you working on your own writing at the time or did that come later? What, can you tell us about kind of how your own fiction efforts came about? Yep, I can tell you that. It came later because when I was in graduate school, I was doing what all good graduate students do and writing research papers. Uh, I didn't write anything of my own, but while I was reading Faulkner, 
one day I'd read John D. McDonald or Harry Whittington at night. And so I was keeping up with the pulp stuff. Or it wasn't pulp, it was paperbacks. But I was keeping up with that pretty well. Uh, and then when I finished my dissertation, I didn't really know what to do with myself. So I decided I would uh, write fiction. And so I wrote a couple of things which were not very successful, uh, which is to say they weren't ever published. <laughs> but uh, I uh, was in a group, writer's group, at the college where I was teaching uh, with uh, a couple of three, four other people. And one of them was the French teacher at the college. She was working on a romance novel. And her husband, Jack Davis, drove her to the meetings because she couldn't drive at night. Uh, and Jack worked at Allied Van Lines. He was the manager. And he knew that I'd been reading a lot of crime fiction and all that. And he said that since you've read so much of this stuff, you and I should write a book. He said, we ought to write one of these Nick Carter novels. Uh, he said, all the truck drivers at the Allied Van Lines are reading these things. They're sort of like uh, James Bond for truck drivers. And he <laughs> said, you and I can write one. Well, I laughed about it. But he said, I'll outline it. I'll do a rough draft of a chapter. And then you can, since you're an English teacher, <laughs> you can fix it up. <laughs> So we did, and to make a long, a really long story short, we sold it, uh, much to my surprise. Jack was not surprised. He thought it was great. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, we were going, we had decided we'd just become Nick Carter writers. Uh, and, and you and sold the, that to the publisher who was publishing Nick Carter novels, right. obviously. It was... Okay. Uh, Let's see, the publisher at that time was Jove Books. It had moved around once or twice already, but right. Jove was the imprint then. And that editor loved our stuff, and she said, you know, send me more. So we worked on a couple of outlines and sent them to her, and she liked those a good bit, and then she left. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but she was no longer there. The new editor came in and said, I'm not very fond of these, forget it. I'm, I'm hiring some uh, New York writers uh, to do these books, and you guys are out. So we never wrote a second one. One of those New York writers, I believe, was Bob Brandisi, the rat. Uh, <laughs> but uh, at any rate, we didn't write any more of those, and I later, a year or two later, moved down here where I am now, wrote the first Sheriff Rhodes book, and the rest is history, as we like to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, do you have a favorite novel that you've written? Not really. People ask me that, but, uh, and... The standard author answer to that is, it's like asking if you have a favorite child. Even if you do, you're not supposed to say. <laughs> but uh, I really don't. I, I enjoyed writing all of them. Uh, the ones that I regret not still writing, we could look at it that way. I love writing that Truman Smith uh, 
Private Eye series, but uh, that ended, and so I haven't written any more. And I really did enjoy those. I miss them. Right. Well, as someone who has witnessed fandom for for many many years, including mimeograph newsletters and 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 sending handwritten or typed letters. Did you ever dream how the internet would evolve and change how you can communicate your passion about uh, paperback novels? No, I certainly didn't. It's amazing to me. Uh, I uh, when I got into fandom, there were many people who were still uh, mimeographing the fanzines. Uh, I was lucky enough to work at a place where I had access to a photocopy machine, so I could photocopy. Man, I was really up to date. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but uh, still, in we exchanged letters all the time and unfortunately a lot of mine got away from me but i still have several from uh harry whittington i have a couple or three from dan j marlowe another paperback writer for gold medal i admire uh and so it's nice to have those things you, with an email i guess you could print them out but i don't guess anybody does so right you lose something yeah <clears throat> Well, in the past three or four years, the the ease of self publishing via ebooks has changed the book publishing industry. Um, as far as a business, I think it will, it will still be many more years before we know exactly you know what the publishing industry will look like. But I would almost argue that in some ways, technology has paved the way for kind of a second golden age of paperbacks or pulps. If if someone was inclined, they could try and and replicate the the paperback writers where they write a novel in in two or three weeks and publish them via ebook. H- have you thought about it from that perspective at all? Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, surprisingly enough, I think uh, that's what really what we're doing with the Colby Jackson westerns. It's what uh, Mel and Paul Bishop and others are doing with their boxing series under the name Jack Penny. Uh, it's what uh, Lee Goldberg and Bill Rabkin are doing with their Dead Man series. Uh, they're, they're sort of bringing back the men's adventure type novels from the 80s. Right. That. Uh, so I, I think this is exactly what people are doing. Lee and, and Bill Rabkin are even on a schedule with the Dead Man. They're publishing one every so often. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a, it's a lot like the golden age of the paperback original or even the pulps back in those days because... In the days of the pulps, there were so many magazines. If if you could pound out anything that looked like a story, you could probably sell it. So, right. The only problem now is how do people find out about these books? And right. So and the internet helps with that too. Yeah, the the marketing. I I agree. Yeah. Well, well, well. Given all of these changes with with eBooks and 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 publishing. Are there any novels or novel ideas or projects that you've shelved in the past because you didn't think they were commercial enough or for other reasons that you've considered kind of pulling out of the drawer, so to speak, and publishing them electronically? Uh, you know, I don't have anything <laughs> in the drawer. Uh, but if I did, it would be out there, right. I guarantee you. And it also gives you an opportunity to do things that you uh, – 
would not ordinarily do, like the Kobe Jackson books. Those things would never be written if it weren't for this new publication method. Right. Well, well, given your knowledge of of um, early paperback novels and and, and gold medal, um, I, I had two questions for you. One, if you had to name one, could you, you know, who is your favorite paperback writer? And then second, I was curious if there's a paperback writer that you wish more current readers knew about and don't. Well, let's just put them both in the same answer. <laughs> okay. Harry Whittington. Harry Whittington uh, is a guy who, who it was a tremendous writer. He, he knew exactly what he was doing with suspense and how to work a plot and uh i've enjoyed nearly everything by him i've ever read uh now he is sort of being rediscovered i have to admit uh some of his stuff has been reprinted by stark house so it's available i just mm-hmm. hope a lot of people are looking for it the one that surprises me that hasn't been really rediscovered is Charles Williams, whose whose books are really good. Uh, John D. McDonald said of the paperback writers of the time, said of Charles Williams, he might be the best of us all. Uh, and he was really good. Uh, and yet, I don't see his books being as eagerly sought after as some others. Now, Hard Case Crime reprinted one of them, uh, but I don't know how well it did. Right. But, He's a writer who really deserves rediscovery. Gotcha. Well, well, we've talked a lot about um, paperback novels and, and, and about pulp literature. And, and I know that there are small independent publishers out there who are republishing vintage pulp stories. Not as much yep. paperback. That's more hard case crime that you mentioned. But I'm thinking more of the, the, the early pulps. But I, I've noticed that many of many of them are publishing them as physical books and, and not as ebooks. Do you, do you know why um, some of these publishers are not embracing ebooks? Because I would think that they would kind of want as many readers as possible. Yes, I'm, I'm not sure, but I, I happen to like physical books. So I like, they, you know, there are a lot of people. I recently did a little blurb for one from black dog books, right? Uh, some air pups. Uh, I really do like the look and the feel of some of these books that people are doing. Uh, And maybe that's why they're doing them, because they just like physical books. I wouldn't blame them if that was the reason. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Uh, of course. Because I do, too. Uh, And maybe they find it easier to publicize physical books. You can go to a convention. You can set up a table. You can put out the books for people to see, uh, and that gives you, you know, presence that you don't sure. get with e-books. Exactly. Well, what what tips or advice would you offer for aspiring writers, people who would like to publish their own, own fiction? Huh, good question. Uh, back when I started... Um, it was a lot easier, I think. Well, maybe in some ways it was harder. But uh, because the the writing world was smaller, I, and the Internet has just, you know, it's turned everything around. It's mm-hmm. huge now. Uh, 
but I think that uh, networking is important, getting to know other writers, get going to conventions, meeting other writers, meeting editors, uh, talking to people. I think all that makes a difference. Uh, and I think maybe having an Internet presence uh, can make a difference now. Uh, that's one. If you're going to write e-books, then you need to have some kind of way to get the word out about them. And if you have an Internet presence, if your name is out there already, that can be a huge help. Sure. I know that there are some writers that people are probably familiar with, like John Scalzi, who has been on the Internet almost since there was an Internet, I guess. Uh, and he has thousands of people who read his blog every day right and i that was a huge help to him i'm sure sure when he started his career exactly what are you writing now what are you working on well as a matter of fact i'm working on a new colby jackson book <laughs> <laughs> uh for the western series that we're doing this one is entirely different from all the others this one's going to be told in uh first person by Gabby Darbin's kind of a geezerly character in the series, but this is going to be his story of when he was a young man in Colorado gold mining, so it's a little different. Great. Well, where can people find you online? All right. I have a website, BillCrider.com, and I have a blog at BillCrider.blogspot.com, so there I am. Okay. Well, again, we've been speaking with Bill Kreider, author of The Wild Hog Murders, available in bookstores and via ebook now. Bill, thanks for doing the interview. Thanks for having me, Jeff. This has been fun. Thanks for listening to my latest podcast. If you have a chance, please leave a review of the podcast in iTunes. It only takes a moment. Until next time, Read some good books and be well. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.